Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAIC preparation and testing along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWHVACTRAININGSC.COM to inquire. This Quiercast podcast is brought to you by Ideas Digest. I'm Conrad. And I'm Matt. Each week, two optimistic Aussie blokes explore new (laughs) and challenging ideas outside of our echo chamber on our totally realistic quest to achieve world peace, maybe some personal enlightenment. Is that too much of an oversell? Nah, just roll the montage. Okay. I'm right and you're wrong. What are you talking about? Straight men enjoy gay sex. What? The Bible is extremely pro-abortion. Why the hell should I trust you now? Don't define me by what I do in bed. Do you think that kick us out? I've done psychedelics 150 times in my life. You still choose to ejaculate to that. Oh my God. You can have a wife and a girlfriend. This guy just gets your face. Rubs that in. Break your bias. Each week, anywhere you get your podcast, tune in. It's going to be an amazing time. Amazing. <laughs> Give us. <it. laughs> Hi, friends. I'm Tim Whitaker, and welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hi, friends. How are we doing? Good to be back with you. Another episode. I love podcasting. Thank you for listening and making this a reality. It means the world. On this episode, I interviewed Reverend Jackie Lewis. She is an author, an activist, a preacher, a public theologian. She's anti-racist. She's amazing. And she runs a multi-ethnic church in New York City. So we talk about that. We talk about what does it mean to be the first black woman minister in this church context, running a multi-ethnic church, what are the challenges? How do we find better ways forward together? How do we make room for each other? All that good stuff. She's an author as well, like I said, and she wrote an amazing book that's out now that I highly recommend picking up. And so she's great. She's great. She's awesome. I'm a huge fan. She's an inspiration. And I only hope I can learn from her as, uh, as I go down this journey of trying to do my best to be part of the work that we're all trying to do. So Thank you so much, Reverend Jackie, for coming on. It was truly an honor to have you on the podcast. And friends, thank you for listening. You know what I say every time, but I'm going to say it again. If you can rate the show, if you can give us a review, if you could um, share the episode with someone, that helps this work get out to more people. Did you know, by the way, just to let you know how effective this work has been, thanks to you, this year, the podcast hit the uh, 1.3 million download marker as of, as of this recording. On Instagram alone, we reached nine and a half million people in the past six months. So it's been unbelievable to have those kinds of reach or that that kind of reach to uh, an audience that maybe doesn't know that there are better ways in their faith than just being a Christian nationalist or being steeped in homophobia or racism, right? So thank you because you share this podcast, because you share our work, that gets it out to more people and that lets other people know that, that there are better ways available to them in their faith journey. So thank you for that. And of course, if you want to donate, that would be so helpful. All donations go right to this work. We are a nonprofit organization. So all donations are tax deductible. We are completely paywall free and we are completely financially transparent. You can go to our website right now and see our most recent statement where all the money went over the past quarter. So we are not hiding anything from you. It's all about financial transparency as we do this work. All right, friends, without further ado, here's my interview with Reverend Jackie. Have a great day. See ya. This is Tim from Portland, Oregon, and I'm a new donor. I grew up in a fundamental church environment being taught that our way was the right way. After getting married, my wife and I then started to meet followers of Jesus that were outside of the paradigm of what a Jesus follower, quote, should be. Eventually, we started to realize that actually following Jesus is pretty simple. Love God and love neighbor. Well, just like he told us to do 2,000 years ago. 
I eventually found this podcast and it quickly has become one of the staple resources to help me deprogram my closed-minded thinking that I grew up with. So thanks to you, Tim, this team, and to all of you out there on your unique faith journey. Hold on to Jesus, his love, and love for neighbor. Have a great day. Well, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, wow, this is honestly an honor and a privilege to have you on the podcast. Thank you for making time out of a very, what I'm sure is a very busy day. So thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. I like to ask all my guests, my audience knows already how I'm going to start off this conversation. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, you live in New York City. You are a reverend. You have your doctorate. You're you're doing some amazing stuff. And I want to know, how did you grow up? And then how did you get into like the line of work that you're in now? You're an author. You do a lot of things. So I'd love to kind of hear part of the journey. Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, as we record this, uh, my siblings and I uh, just buried our dad. Uh, Richard Lewis Sr. Uh, died. He died on August 15th. And we had his funeral uh, two weeks later. So just kind of back from, uh, just kind of back from that intense family time, uh, which, which is an entree into just, I come from this really intense family of uh, uh, four, four guys and two girls. Our mom died six years ago. We just lost our dad. We've been kind of, uh, we were raised in the Air Force. Dad was an Air Force um, mechanic on B-52 bombers. Uh, he and mommy met at the officers club the non-commissioned officers club in offered air force base dancing to i found my thrill on blueberry hill uh, they did find a thrill they made me and my sister and then four guys after that i grew up i'm the oldest girl basically oldest child energy um co-parenting brothers and sisters and um and loving that i think it shaped my personality uh, so much to, to be counted on by my parents, uh, you know, uh, counted on to, uh, to babysit. Uh, I remember one time mom was going to have my, one of my younger brothers and she was walking down the stairs in the snow. My dad helping her down the stairs. She turned over her shoulder and said, don't forget to feed the children. And I was like nine. So I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> I, I will feed them. Um, right. Uh, we grew up in the church. We grew mm. up in black folks' religion, you know, that, mm. that God loves you and requires of you that you love the world, uh, that mm. you treat your neighbor with love and compassion, um, that you stand up for the outsider, that you mm. make peace as often as you can, uh, and that you... Um, you dance with your siblings in the kitchen. You uh, play cards with your mom and dad at the table. We laughed a lot. We um, we traveled a lot. And got in the car and get in the car and just go. And yeah. inside me are these two parents who maybe I'm my mother's daughter and I'm a little bit my father's son, uh, changing tires and cutting hair and cutting the grass. Uh, beautiful life in a kind of lower middle-class black family that had more love than uh, is easy to describe. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> sure. I'm assuming then that your, your family gave you a love for the Christian tradition. Like you mentioned, you know, it was the, the black church. It sounds like that you were raised in. Yeah. I'm learning more and more. Um, cause obviously I'm, I'm sure you could tell I grew up in the white church experience. Yeah. And, uh, my, my friend to me, Spencer Helms, amazing author. Uh, she wrote a book about her experience of growing up in the black church and then kind of getting, uh, she calls it saved by white Jesus temporarily. <laughs> and then, uh, ended up leaving the, the white church and found her roots again. Yeah. Right. And so uh, for you, was that where like, like, like your faith comes from? Is that where your love for Jesus comes from? Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I've been on a journey from my parents' God. Like if you read my mm. book, Fierce Love, I, I would say they gave me a God to love. Uh, they gave me a co-parent, a co-padre, and it was a father who was um, loved you, uh, but you bed not. There wasn't bed nots. You, know, you bed not <laughs> lie. You bed not steal. You bed not uh, have sex before you're married. 
you you sure. better not um, cheat, you know? And I'm not saying that they were overt about this, Tim, but certainly the God image that was created in my relationship with my parents was super loving, but also demanded obedience and allegiance mm. and was the only way, the only truth and the only life. They were conservative that way. And so I loved that God, right? I fell in love with that God. Started going to church, going, teaching Sunday school when I was eight, you know, singing wow. in the choir. And, uh, and, and it wasn't, not, not unusual in that young adult journey that often takes you to college and maybe away from church or, or in my case, to one of those, you know, churchy youth group thingies at college, you know. I won't say which one, totally. but I'll bet you did that too. <laughs> You're like, oh, I had okay. no comment. Here are the laws and here's the things. And This uh, isn't about me, yeah, okay? <laughs> yeah, we've been there, right? And, yeah. and then there was a, like, alongside it was another conservative thought, but mm. the gospel choir that I helped start at Bradley, mm. at Northwestern and Bradley, two schools, mm. where, the, where the theology of black gospel music had some conservative tone there's no way unto the Father but through Christ, his only son, you know, only Jesus alone type of feeling. I know a place, ain't nobody crying, you know, Davis yeah. Stables. So what happened? I, I was a young adult and uh, got married, um, had a really bad car accident. I tell that story mm. in the book. And I honestly, Tim, I thought, what did I do to God? Mm. What did I do? to God, to deserve to have my car and flip over in the QEW three times and bounce on its tires and land on its roof. Mm-hmm. What did I do? And I would search my little bank of goods and bads. You know? yeah. I, was like, I think the only thing I did that was bad is I had sex two weeks before I got married for the very first time in my life. Yeah. Two weeks, my birthday, before the wedding, I actually, you know, gave into petting and made out uh, with my fiance. Now, Tim, someone's listening here and they're thinking, well, you shouldn't have had sex before you got married. Maybe, mm. maybe, maybe God cares a lot about that. Right. But in our religious upbringing, it was like so bad to have had sex for the girls, not the boys, but for the girls. And I just couldn't forgive myself. And I found myself thinking I didn't have exactly this language at that age, but like, is that the God I want to be in relationship with Mm. who's mad at me enough, right? To cause a car accident? Oh man, Tim, God isn't, that's not God. But I didn't know then. So I was on this journey to find a God that was grown up. I could have a grown up relationship with, that wasn't petty, that wasn't punitive, that wasn't trying to, you know, only love me on a good day. And I found right. that God, you know, in seminary and and have flourished in relationship with this God called love, who loves me and you, mm. loves mm. us. Love, period, certainly wants us to be the best we can to each other in the world, to be kind, to be loving, generous, to honor our people. Yes, mm. yes. But a nefarious, moody God who's going to strike you dead because you <laughs> took off your underwear. I don't know. I yeah, had to. I had yeah, to let that yeah. God hey, go. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people who are listening to this have found themselves in their own way asking themselves the question that you eventually came to through their own means. I mean, my first kiss, I was so nervous, I threw up after it. Oh, I literally no. vomited in the bushes oh, my God. twice. Okay, this is like, it's true. Uh, I was 17, wow. had my first kiss with my girlfriend. It was cloud nine. I look at her and I go, I think I'm going to throw up. And I just throw up. And I was just so nervous, you know? Right. I was so anxious about sure. like, what if we go too far, all this stuff. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, yeah, they, they, they come to a point with their faith where they go, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but at least for me, it, was, it wasn't so much a crisis of faith where I was like, do I believe in God? No, I always did. But what do I believe about exactly. this God? It was a That's crisis right. of theology for me That's right. that, that put me on this path. 
Now you are, I'm not sure what the right term is, but I'm assuming you're a reverend at the middle church and you're like the lead reverend. Is that a thing? Is it lead pastor? What's the right language there? I'm the, I'm the lead reverend. Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, That is awesome. What's that been like? Well, like, um, like heaven on earth, you know, I, I love that. I I went to study middle church, uh, in my PhD dissertation, I was trying to figure out Tim, why is 11 o'clock in the morning, the most segregated hour in America? What the hell? What is that about? Yeah. Right. So what's up with that? Studying churches who seemed to have figured out how to have a multi-ethnic community. And my predecessor, Gordon Drott, was this middle-aged guy from middle America who had this black and white church mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to study them, you know, he kept me, he hired me. Uh, he was retiring, I didn't know that. But they, so it has gone from this you know, black and white church with like two Chinese people and like three Hispanics or something to this fully multi-ethnic, I don't know what the majority is, congregation in the 20 years I've been there, that is just joy, just Mm. joy, Uh, joyful, justice-y, collaborative, creative, um, fantastic, Cirque de Worship. I say our worship is Cirque de Worship. There's so much goodness of puppets and dance, and and then we really walk walk our talk, feeding people, clothing ministries, um, you know, people living with HIV AIDS, working on a living Mm. wage, working on Mm. gun control. And we had a fire in December of 2020 where we lost our space. And so we're worshiping in a temple. Uh, Synagogue has made us a home. And Mm. we're just having a good time. So to be the senior minister of that church is like uh, heaven on earth. You know, it's interesting, and and we're going to get to um, the main topic in a second, but I have to take a, a small detour here because you brought it up. You know, you mentioned that your congregation is multi-ethnic, I think is what you said, which mm-hmm. is amazing and beautiful. And I, I just finished this book by Jesse Curtis called The Myth of Colorblind Christianity. Ooh. And he, tr- I didn't know, I'm, I'm not an academic, okay? Mm-hmm. I was homeschooled for nine years. I did some college, but I've been, since doing this work, just trying to read as much as possible, getting up to speed on what my actual tradition in American evangelicalism sure. entails. And it, a lot of it is honestly very disappointing to put it mildly. In in the book, he documents the church the, the, the church growth movement uh, back in the 60s, 60s and 70s and how it really promoted uh, this idea of a homogenous church group to grow the fastest for the most amount of people. And I did not realize that, hey, I never even heard of that movement before. It makes sense once I read the book. I'm right. like, oh, this is where we get the Rick Warren yeah. megachurch structures of right. the world. But I didn't realize how, frankly, racist it was. Now, Jesse does a really good job of of, of showing how uh, some of these people didn't even see it that way until it was too late. But you can't deny the impact, right? Right. The impact pretty much said, hey, keep groups to their own. And in that way, you'll grow your church nice and fast because um, um, it's too difficult, essentially, is the idea. And so I just love hearing you say what you said because I have that fresh in my mind. I finished the book maybe a month ago, and I'm like, oh. Like, I love that. My only question for you about that in, while we're talking on the topic is, you know, has it been challenging? I mean, there's obviously a lot of different dynamics at play, a lot of different experiences, yeah. you know, a lot of different things coming together, sure. trying to unite um, and be centered on, you know, the the gathering and on and, uh, the divine. What's that been like for you trying to make all that work? Well, it is a challenge, period. Mm. It just is. Yeah, uh, It's one of those things where I'll say it's hard, but it's right. It's, mm, it's hard, but it's right. Um, so it is. It is what drove me um, to 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 my doctoral studies. Lots of people say PhDs are uh, autobiographical. I think you know. True, my dad and mom being in the Air Force, we were in these communities where there was a lot of diversity, but not that much blackness, right? Like mm. here's just diversity of class, a couple Japanese families, a couple black families on the base, but but the kind of lesson at the, in the Air Force base military life, I think a lot is you're making family where you are. Right. So those white people were in my mom and dad's house, listening mm-hmm. to James Brown and playing cards. You know, the, yeah. there was a way in which the, 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 the officers, the, the um, enlisted people all leaning on each other creates a certain kind of web that was in, was, that I was attracted to. Uh, yeah. So I grew up and then I went to an integrated high school you are over at so-and-so's house and y'all are figuring out why our hair is different. 
yeah. but you're over there. <laughs> yeah. um, so right. this is the dream. And I think it's the reign of God. To, the reign of God is not segregated. Yeah. We're not going to get to heaven and go to the, like sit on the back of the bus black section or the, yeah. you know, over yeah. here on the reservation Indian section. So it feels to me like a holy calling to dismantle racism mm. by building multi-ethnic communities. Uh, and we do it. And there's a book called uh, Coming Together, Curtis DeYoung. Um, there's mm. a book called United by Faith. There are other people who have, in my book, of uh, um, 10 Essential Strategies to Build a Multi-Ethnic Church, there are pockets of resistance to segregated congregations. And you're seeing them pop up. Lots of them are led by white men and evangelical. But yes. but the pure, um, radical welcome, y'all come just as you are, as you come through the door of Middle Church, is the church of Howard Thurman, you know, the mm. church of Martin King's dream. It's the church yeah. of SNCC. You know, it's the, it's the church of when those black, white, Latinx, Asian kids all got on buses and went to Mississippi to register people to vote. It is yeah. what God calls us to yeah. in his heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, you know, my, my concern was what you just said, you know, like I, I've been, I've either heard of churches or I've been part of churches that are, I guess, technically they're diverse racially, but they're right. still kind of run by whiteness. Does that yes. make sense? That's you know, exactly. where it's like, well, right. hey, we're all cool as long as you kind of assimilate into yeah. this vibe. And yeah. I think also that's sometimes I get a little like, okay, how do I navigate this in my own life? Because I, I think one of the, the, um, I don't want to speak ill or, or too tough, but I think one of the things that people who are, who claim to be colorblind do is they will appeal to, you know, we're centered around Christ. We have unity in Christ. And like, I love that idea, but I've only seen it applied in ways that tends to er erase people's heritage and ethnicity and race in their background. Right. And kind of privileged a, uh, an un, and they're ignorant to it, I think, but in a sense of whiteness, of like, oh, this is the standard. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to ask because I've only seen what you're saying done by people like me. Right. And I think maybe their intent is nice, but their impact is not good at all. And it only kind of creates more problems. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And there is, uh, there are lessons to learn, there are strategies yeah. and tactics. You know, yeah. to build a true democratic society or to build a true multi-ethnic, multicultural, you know, multi-gendered church requires right. uh, deep listening to each other's stories, vulnerability, to, to, to be willing to listen and to be willing to share, to be willing to be changed. Um, there's a book called The Future is Mestizo that was written by a Catholic mm. priest named Rogelio Elizondo. And he was talking about um, how on the Tex-Mex border, there's a certain kind of calling, if you will, to be there, to become mixed. You will eat food. You will do language. You will create Spanglish. You will create culture. Um, what I think segregation tried to do and still tries to do is to yeah. keep whiteness pure, to keep yeah. whiteness pure in terms of uh, racial mixing, you know, against miscegenation type of thing, but also yeah. to keep white culture pure. We don't want to really be a, a changed by the blues or gospel music, or we don't really want to be changed by jazz, or we don't really want right. to be changed, Tim, by the power and the pain in your story, Latinx yeah. people, black people, Asian people, indigenous people. We don't want right. that to be talked about in the schools. We don't want our white children to learn about the Tulsa massacre. So there's that purity of whiteness that you're describing that I think is so true uh, in so many of our institutions. Yeah. Church yeah. can, our faith can erode that. But understand when you get to La Frontera, when you get to the border, when you get to the place where you're going to be mixed, when blacks and whites and whites and Asians and Asians and Latinx and Latinx and indigenous, when you get in the same place, you will be changed. Mm -hmm. Something mulatto, something mi mixed grows and it's beautiful. And colorblindness 
wants to even say like that, well, okay, everybody's beige. No, everybody's beige. No, the blackness of black people, Mm. that's beauty, right? The whiteness of, I'm going to say, Irish culture, right? That's beautiful. The, the, The particularity of what is Navajo is beautiful. Chinese is not Japanese, right? Right. So there is a particularity yes. to humankind that wants to be seen and known and loved and delighted in. Yeah. That's the joy of true multi-ethnic living. I love that. I think it's it's beautiful and, and so well said. I, I've even been learning how this term that I've been learning more about whiteness it even does damage to quote unquote white people totally because does. i mean for example i mean i my, my background is italian greek and german mm-hmm. i have like i know nothing about any of those <laughs> things besides the right. spaghetti i used to eat at my grandma's right, house and right. you know uh grape leaves you know and and because i'm labeled white in america i'm just i'm i'm in the I, i'm i'm the i'm putting the same category as someone who's irish right? right now obviously like yes i get that the skin color thing whatever but but our backgrounds are very different totally. and they're actually diverse and they're beautiful and they're we all have something to learn, right? So it is interesting to even learn how whiteness itself, obviously the system was built for people like me. I have, uh, we, we all acknowledge that, we understand that. So I, my trade is I give up my cultural background identity, I get privilege, right? right? That That's the agreement with, with whiteness for me. That's right. The agreement for whiteness with other people who are not like me is you get oppression, you get eradication, you get you know all those things. Mm-hmm. But it is important, I think, to realize that, like you said, like this idea of whiteness is doing so much damage to everyone involved in in, in its own ways. There was an article I read when I was writing my uh, dissertation, white means never having to say you're ethnic. (laughs) That's everything in a nutshell. The bargain that that white folks make um, is to give up the particularity of their Scotch grandmother's stew or their Irish grandfather's story of survival of famine or their Lithuanian's, you know, I don't know, colors, patterns, those things make you, you. And how wonderful is it to to own it, keep it. I dream a world where white people take back ethnicity, where Tim says, I am Italian and um, Greek and Irish, and I'm claiming all of those parts of me. Yeah, Yeah. right. I love that. So you wrote a book two years ago, okay? It's called Fierce Love. A bold path to ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world. Man, what a tagline! I listened to your <laughs> intro that you have on your website, your five-minute intro. I'm like, oh, I love this! Like, I am in. I mean, I have to imagine that this book comes out of uh, your lived experience as being a lead reverend over a multi-ethnic congregation. I'm imagining it is looking at the world around us. Now, you wrote this book two years ago, yeah. right? But I mean, two years ago, things were hot mess. Just as he, yeah. yeah, they were a hot mess That's then, right. just like they are now. Right. Um, why, why a book centered on? Uh, I'll put it this way: Why a book with that tagline, right? Yeah. A bold path to ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world. Mm. A lot of us are mm. rightfully so angry, we're frustrated. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people are feeling things that they haven't felt in a long time. Right. And you're coming along saying, "Hey, what if we had some rule-breaking What if we kindness? had some rule-breaking kindness? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm in. That. Talk to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. Give, me, give me the why behind this book. Yeah, thank you so much, Tim. First of all, I want to say thank you to anybody who's listening who bought Fierce Love and anybody who will buy it because books can have a tail off, right? And yes. I, feel like this, yes. I feel like this book is for such a time as this. Mm. When I was trying to think about what I thought the world needed, right? I was writing, yeah. I was writing, after George Floyd, you know, I will never forget the look on, on that officer's face yeah. when, they're, when his knee is on Mr. Floyd's neck. I will never forget it. Um, I'm African-American, those who are listening. Uh, so it's not the first lynching I know about. But to see that rolled up on, you know, Rakia Boyd, rolled up on Mike Brown, on, you know, how many names can we even say, Eric Garner? How many names can we say? And like as a little girl, it was Emmett Till, right? Like he was in, in Mississippi. My mom and dad were both raised in Mississippi. That's a story that they finally told us when they started talking to us about race. So to, wow. to live in a time where a black body just mattered so little, right? I, I, it kind of sucks my breath out, right? So I was thinking, what is required? 
And I and I remembered a story. This is the rule breaking. This is the rule breaking kindness of being a young black woman who had this car accident, the one I referred to before. And I'm like, can't figure out why, 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 God, why, God. But I'm in yeah. Windsor, Canada, Tim, by myself, me and my me and my beau, my my man, and I have nothing. Hmm. I, this is I don't have I I don't have any money really. We're right out of college, so twenty body bucks or whatever's in my purse. Car is right. smashed. Yeah, I don't have a place to stay. They keep him in the hospital. And I'm at the phone banks calling my parents and calling his parents. I'm just crying, crying, crying. And I look up and there's this Canadian lady, white lady, staring at me. And she walks over to me and says, you know, what's wrong? When someone says that, then your tears just flood out again. And I say, I, I've had this car accident. They're keeping my man here in the hospital, I don't know what to do next. She takes me to a hotel and checks me in. She takes me to the drugstore, buys me toothbrush and stuff like that, even fresh undies. She mm -hmm. takes me to get food. And that's not enough, she pays the bill. She comes to get me the next day, takes me back to the hospital, takes me to the car rental place. I'm talking about rule-breaking kindness. I've got a big Afro with glass in it and blood on my clothes. There's no reason. There's no reason to do me. She wasn't a nun, you know. I don't know. Right, right. She was amazing. That's rule breaking kindness, and we know you and I know when the floodwaters come and someone wades in the fetid waters to save somebody else. When we stop somebody blind from walking across the street. When we yeah. hear a child crying in a fire, we grab them. Like there's all these incredible acts of rule breaking kindness that I think are healing. And the ferocious courage is the willingness like to take risks, to, to tell the truth to each other, to forge new paths together, to, to stand up for the other. All those people marching in the streets saying Black Lives Matter. Yeah. All those people who went to, to Cotty Park for Occupy Wall Street all the people who, all the people who care for immigrants, all the people who, who stand in the gap. Yeah. That's ferocious courage. That's what we need. That's fierce love. Mm -hmm. Bold, 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 courageous acts of justice and kindness that'll heal us. In your intro on your website, you, you have like the first five minutes um, in audio. I went through it uh, before I hopped on the call with you. And you talk about, you know, how this isn't like a feel good, romantic, you know, like uh, <laughs> altruistic type of love you're talking about. Right. right. And I really appreciated that you said that because in our culture, right, love is one word. It can mean a lot of different things. Right. I mean, I love pizza. I love my wife. Very different meanings. <laughs> right. right? Um, and so, so <laughs> yeah, for the record, yeah, there the record, is a difference. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry for listening. There's a big difference. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so when you talk about, you know, you give some examples here, it sounds like what you're talking about is, is a, almost like a, in a sense, like a maybe self-sacrificial kind of love or a love that, that didn't need to do what that woman did for you, but did it anyway, because it was the right thing. Cause it was extending, you know, human kindness to you. Right. Is that how you kind of define love, yep. the love that you're talking about in the book? Yeah, I do. I, I crib off of one of my professors though, and um, this guy named Jim Loader who was one of my teachers at Princeton Seminary, hmm. he defined love as the non-possessive delight, the unique particularity of the other. Like the hmm. non-possessive delight, the unique particularity of the other. And I push that. In some way, I think, Tim, the, the, the biblical teachings of love neighbor, love God, love neighbor, love self, right? All the world's major religions have something about that kind of love. Yeah. Islam says, don't withhold something from someone that you need for yourself. Judaism says, you shall love the stranger because you were once strangers in a strange land. Christians do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I mean, all the religions and in the Sikh faith, S-I-K-8, mm -hmm. they say, 
don't do anything to break anyone else's heart. Mm. This, this, this delight in the unique particularity is more like, I would, say, I would add, like, take pride in their existence, right? Like, mm. be, 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 be encouraged that there's another human flourishing. And that's Ubuntu, mm. this ancient Zulu. I am who I am because you are who you are. So mm. this is what I'm saying is that love acknowledges that I'm not who I am until you're who you are. Mm. That, to quote Jerry Maguire, in fact, you do complete me. Like mm. you, your family, your wife, your kiddos, your older people, your struggles, your mm. environmental concerns, your health care, your voting rights, all of that makes you a text are my concerns because we're human on the planet together. Mm. Mm. That's, that's what I'm talking about with love. Some people take the straight path in life, but at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, a top 10 university for online bachelor's programs. Tap to learn more or visit us at asuonline.asu.edu. Yeah, that's helpful. Talk to me about, I mean, I don't put, I don't want to put words in your mouth or assume, do you identify as a Christian? Is that kind of like like, like, like the house that you're still occupying? Because you sound like you're very ecumenical. You, you're yeah. wide, widely read. You source different religions in, yeah. in your last couple of statements there. Where do you land on that? You're a reverend. I mean, I would, <laughs> you know, that's what I would assume. But I, I've also learned as I'm journeying beyond the basement of fundamentalism <laughs> that, you know, Christianity gets a little bit yeah. uh, beyond my own, like, um, understanding sometimes. And I love that because I want to learn. Yeah. So I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on that. Well, I've been called an irreverent reverend. So let me just get that on the table. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I think I pastor, I pastor a church that is Christian in tradition but mm. that is universalist in our theology acceptance. You know, you can come to the church, anybody, no matter what you're bringing with you, come on through. And I am squarely in the camp of following Jesus. Like I follow mm. Jesus along the way. Facts. Yeah. It's my dude yeah. is my jam. Jesus is my jam. What has become Christian in quotes breaks my heart. Yeah. When like I wrote a post a couple days ago about, trans children, controversy about parents need to know when their children are coming out or whatever. And my, my comment wasn't about trans as much as it was like, our children come through us, right? But they, they don't belong to you. They're not your property. They're, they're people. Mm. Child, you would have thought I had said Jesus was a dog or, you know, or yeah. God is the devil or I don't know. Like, I don't know what. Yeah. It just unleashed a storm of, of outrage Yeah, where I was called a groomer and a fake pastor, yep. that that kind of like vitriol and violence that is wrapped up in Christianity, that is not new to him. Yeah, right. That's right. Right. That is not Christian. And then you got to say that's not Christian and then you, which can't eschew because it's masquerading as Christian. It looks like Christian. It sounds like Christian. But if people are bashing people, throwing cans at their heads because they're gay, um, beating women and saying you have to stay because you're married, you know, I, I can't, the racism, the greed, that is not what I do. <laughs> I'm not doing that. So am I yeah. Christian? I'm not that. I, I'm right. following in the way of Jesus, but I'm not yeah. that. I often tell people that you can be Christian and still behave in antichrist ways. And I really, I really believe that in our current cultural moment, we are on the East Coast, we live in America in 2023. I'm only becoming more and more aware of how, on one hand, a lot of my, my, my faith tradition, my evangelical heritage is very much Christian. I mean, they, they're at least Christian in belief as far as like the Orthodox stuff that most, most would affirm. And also they're, they're actually participating in a pretty on, on uh, a pretty dehumanizing Christian tradition that we can trace back you know, colonization, you know, uh, Mark Charles's book on settling right. truths talks about right. doctrine of discovery. 
right? So there's that side, but also there, it's also incredibly antichrist. I mean, it literally, you have to jettison the teachings of Christ and really a lot of the core teachings from brilliant theologians and, and philosophers and people with all throughout the Christian tradition um, to really behave that way. Yeah. And I think, I think it's only becoming more normalized um, because we're now at a point where, and, and one of the sources I use a lot is um, I, I follow a lot of the Christian nationalist stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I was, I was around when Trump Jr. went to Turning Point USA and said, Hey, I know that you've been taught to turn the other cheek, but it's gotten you nowhere. He says that to a bunch of Christians and they pretty much applaud him and they met him. And I was like, Oh, there it is. There like it there's is. the example of you can claim to be a Christ follower right. while actually behaving in antichrist ways. Yep. And I think what makes this conversation difficult, this is where the love conversation, right? This is where the rubber meets the road because and I, I want to preface, I think it's easy for me to say, oh, guys, we have to love, we have to have fierce love, we have to forgive our enemies. Well, it's easy when when those people aren't coming for me. Right. <laughs> it's easy when, when I'm not I'm not the I'm not the person who who they're after, right? right. Um, and, and I'm just kind of curious for you. I mean, I'm sure I know you've thought about this stuff. I'm, I know that you're aware of what's happening, probably more than I am aware of it and experiencing it in ways that I don't I will never experience. How does the love conversation combat this stuff without us becoming the very things that we're trying to resist. That is, that's what I always ask myself. That is, that is the, that is the question that writes yeah. the next book. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. Right, you know, I'm talking about fierce faith in a public ethic of love, right? We, we, yeah. we don't, you and I as Christians don't own love. Um, totally. Um, Valley Corps, Simran, Jeet Singh, um, you know, evangelical Christians that used to be more evangelical, like Brian McLaren or, um, you know, our Muslim colleagues. What I'm saying is this love as a public ethic. Love like bell hooks, you know, would say, when there's love, there's no room for dom- to, for domination. Right. Right. That, that's, 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 that's what she's saying. There's no way we can be dominating each other with violence or dominating the earth with love. Um, right. I'm thinking about Dr. King's, you know, call to love and his, you know, where do we go from here? What, what, what we're talking about is, I am really your neighbor's keeper. We really are each other's keeper, and so creating a world in which everyone has enough, in which gun violence is a pastime paradigm, in which, who cares? like, people, who cares? What are you so upset about? Because somebody's child is trans. What has that got to do with you at all? Yeah. Zippo, <laughs> let those parents love on their child while he wears right. a pink tutu, or she wears some overalls. Like, why do right. you care? We are right. so freaked out as a Christian church in some pockets because we're losing way. We're losing space. We're losing power. We're we're losing the, the embedded American dream that Christendom promises. And it was never the right dream. If it was white picket fences and you're the only people that got enough food on the table, that wasn't the right dream. If you thought your Jesus was a white guy with blonde hair and making a peace sign, that wasn't the dream. That wasn't true. Your dude, right. Jesus, is an African, Semitic, Jewish, from Nazareth, once homeless, poor, <laughs> itinerant, immigrant person. Right. Get, get it together, people, and right. turn your eyes up and out and look for Jesus everywhere. Yeah. And let's try to follow that Jesus. Yeah. Does it frustrate you like it does me that we are stuck having these culture war conversations and real issues aren't even being discussed in the public discourse? You know, livable wages, affordable health care, right. things that, you know, you actually like affect a lot of people right now. And unfortunately, we're too busy having to defend our trans friends and, and, and siblings, you know, from the rhetoric of these far right organizations who are literally in some cases causing bomb threats to be thrown at hospitals and you know, people have to move out of state because they're no longer safe there because they were exposed by someone on Twitter. It, it is, it is, I don't have the right 
amount of words, probably a lot of profanities, frankly, of just how frustrating it is to watch this cycle of chaos ha- happen, which distracts us from bigger systemic issues that our country could solve, right? We are the world's richest country still. We spend almost a trillion dollars a year on our military. Right. And we can't get the affordable health care thing figured out right. because that, for some people, would be, quote, socialism. It's like, wow, like we're not talking about anything deep here, are we? Like we're still stuck in this culture war talking point thing. And it's incredibly frustrating. It is frustrating. And, you know, I would say embedded in the culture wars is, uh, is worldview, right? And uh, values yeah. and vision. Yeah. And there is a kind of, Nostalgia for something that wasn't ever really true, not for somebody as swarthy as you and me, wasn't ever really true that there was an American dream that was wrapped up in Christianity and everybody go to church at the white picket church and come home and eat potato salad and be okay. That was never true. What, What I dream about is how to get a truth. Like, what if indeed the church felt like it could join arms, link arms with synagogues and mosques and um, right. gurdwaras? And what if what if we could search our all of our holy texts for the commonality of love your neighbor as yourself? Just love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Well, that Canadian chick that saved me. Right. That kid who's wrestling with his sexuality, that mom who can't pay the bills. Like, yeah. We could create a world, Tim, in which everyone has enough, in which everyone is safe. We actually yeah. could do that. Yeah. So I feel like I, like there are two ways to do that, right? There's there's one is like the local level, right? Like right. like the church the church that you're leading and, and the the congregation that you're forming. These little pockets all over the place. I mean, Shane Claiborne in his book from almost yeah. a decade ago now says. Uh, you know, smaller and smaller until you take over the world. Yeah. The idea of just like little micro communities everywhere, right. you know, just love loving that. God and loving neighbor. Me too. I always love that. And then you have the bigger issue of like the policies, the the, the things that affect mass amounts of people. Right. And I would love your thoughts on this because I sometimes get a little in my head thinking about, okay, I critique Christian nationalism for wanting power to control um, however, uh, I don't think power or even wanting power to a degree is the problem. It's what do we do with the people who have that power and how do they use that power? Right. And so I'm, I'm thinking about like how, how maybe politically do we get more organized to fight for things that, that lead to justice oriented outcomes? Again, I mean, the easy one for me is always affordable healthcare. Right. Like it's crazy that people, even if they're covered by a state program, still have to pay a $2,000 deductible right. or you're out of network, you're in network. It's still not that simple. You have to apply. And if you make $1 over the minimum or the maximum, you're, you're just completely out of the program. You know, I, I mean, what do you think about that? Because I love what you're doing. I love what I'm doing, but we can't get affordable health care for all of our neighbors in New York city or in Philly. You know, those are governments that have to do that. How do we navigate that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And I think, um, you know, the way I, the way I feel today about answering it is, um, for our faith to not feel uh, so parochial, right? Like our faith, yeah. we have a Sunday morning faith, and maybe we have a Wednesday night yes. faith. <laughs> yes. Bible study, you got to But your faith is your whole life. And that means yes. when I go to the polls, I'm taking that vision, I'm taking God's reign with me. Mm. The, the God's vision for a healed and whole world, uh, our Jewish friends would say, to Alam, is yeah. very clearly painted out. There's no more suffering because there's enough. And there's no more murder because there's enough. There's no more um, tears because there's enough. There's enough yeah. um, honey and milk and there's enough water. No, strike the rock and there's water. There's enough yeah. for us all to survive and thrive. And I think our faith needs to inform whether we run for office uh, as a, uh, on, on, a pe- on a school board, or do we vote for who at the polls? Our faith needs to uh, undergird our community organizing. Yeah. It needs to uh, show up in our protests, in our petitions. Like, there's a little bit of a 
anti-intellectual, anti-politics. Yes. Energy in the faithy, yes. faithy spaces. And yes. I think that's just a mistake. I agree. Jesus was political and Jesus was a socialist people. Like there was just no mistake that he was going to feed all the people on that mountainside. Hmm. Not just some. Hmm. Okay. So that brings us, I think maybe full circle back to your book a little bit, okay. right? So we have this idea, fierce love, kindness. I'm all about it. I have a really, and we have a very strict policy uh, on the organizational level of non-dehumanization. We don't dehumanize, doesn't matter who they are. We right. just don't do it. We don't name call. We don't make fun of people's body parts. I don't care. I don't care if it's Trump. We're, we're not going to call him the orange man. We just can't I love that. that. <laughs> um, and I think it's a reminder of us, for for me, that if we really believe that all people are made in the Imago Dei, we have an obligation to treat them as such, right? right. However, 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 the, the caveat, right, is that we are in a time where there are people who are really committing serious harm to our neighbors. I mean, we're talking massive, right? Things that are really, uh, January 6th was a historical moment unprecedented in our country's history. Uh, One of the leaders of the Proud Boys just got convicted for 22 years for sedition. Uh, Trump is facing indictments. Okay, we all know this. I'm not going to repeat it. I say it all the time. So, I think about now James Cone's book, Black Power and Black Theology. And I read that for the first time a couple of years ago, and I thought, whoa, I never considered this before. But he says, why is it considered violence when the people whose boot is on their neck push back? And why is it not violence when the boot is on their neck? I'm like, ooh, you know, James, that's not a question I can answer because that's just not my experience. I don't want to I don't want to make assumptions here or, or, or say things. But how do we how do we navigate this time of like I feel a sense of we have to resist more than ever Christian nationalism. Sometimes that, that does take some anger, right? right? It does take some some holy rage to say, you shall not pass Gandalf style, right? Right. At the same time, I do want to keep an ethic of what you call ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world. My only solution so far, and please pull this apart and offer yours, I would love to hear it is that we as an organization operate where we say, listen, we do center certain people. We do center certain stories. However, we want to have a posture of openness for anyone who wants to repent to do better, to be welcome, right? Like I I don't want to treat the Trump supporter like the other because I know how dehumanizing it is to treat to be treated as an other right. when you lose your faith tradition, right? At the same time, you can't bring all the misogyny and homophobia and sexism along with you. That's got to go, you know? So yeah, what are your thoughts? Like, how do we compost this stuff instead of become violent again? Or maybe there's a different answer. I would just love your take. I love that. How do we compost this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to have a, a clear, a clear ethical sense of what we're doing and why. Um, you know, I say middle church are welcome just as you are as you come through the door, and then my staff will say, but really, people also can't then just do what they want, right? That's true. Right. That's com- right. that's boundaries, right? That's yes. love also yes. includes boundaries. So you mm. you can come here, but you're not going to call me the N word or call these guys F word. Or, that's not going to happen. So right. love gets to say, here's our norms. Loves get to say, here's what we expect from each other. I think we have to do that. I don't yeah. think we have to do it violently. I'm, I really believe in nonviolent um, resistance, um, but I think we have to resist which is to say we have totally. to make some noise. And it's, it's also to say everything doesn't go. Like everything doesn't go, Tim. So if people find their way to your space or mine, can we say here's the covenant that we make, the behavioral covenant we make in this right. space? We're not going to name call. We're not going to um, um, you know, use our words as weapons. We are going to listen first and then speak. Like all kinds of... Uh, Norms that make a safe space, brave and safe space, I would say, um, to, and for us to, in, in, in order for us to have a laboratory called humankind. Like humanness is a, a project. Being human is a process. If we stopped watching the mean things, pretty soon they wouldn't have ratings enough to stay on the air. If we stopped consuming the BS on any of the channels, from the X that used to be Twitter to, to news, if we stopped participating in the violence, pretty soon there will be nobody on the stage. So I mm. think we have to be revolutionary in our love. And 
yeah. uh, brave in our calling out and, and uh, to take a stand to like, like, no, you don't let your child watch that. No, you don't, right. you don't have that conversation in your house. No, you yeah. don't allow, you don't sit at the table when people are calling somebody the names that they call people and say nothing. You, you see something, you say something. I would love to be raising a generation of people who are loving enough to not stand hate. Yeah. Like we're not going to do hate. Yeah, that's great. Okay, one last question for you. Sure. All right, a bit, a, a bit of a curveball, but you uh, are a reverend, I like, so I think I have to ask. I have to ask. We all know that we are currently in a major religious upheaval in America regarding the, the Christian faith, at least in sure. the church. Uh, Forty million people have left the church broadly. That's mainline right. Protestant right. gone over the past twenty-five years. What what does the future of the church look like, do you think? I mean, um, in some ways, some of these institutions are massive, like the SBC, but they're they're hemorrhaging people as well. Yeah. Do you think that 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 like in five years from now, uh, there are new institutions? Do you think it goes a little more, I hate to use the term, but organic and community? I mean, like, what are your thoughts on, on the future of the church in America? Oh, thank you for that easy question, Tim. Oh, um, easy. I love <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I think there's going to be some deaths. I think some of the structures and systems uh, are going to die. Some of the institutions are going to die. Um, and I think that that's okay. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think that death uh, is inevitable. And what we can be thinking about is what will resurrect, what we will focus on to resurrect. Do we need all these brick and mortar churches? I don't know. Yeah. Um, house churches could be fun. Yeah. Uh, I like I like a I like a theological conversation in a bar over a beer uh, for young people. I think we take the church. Howard Thurman says the church is wherever good people are doing good things. So Ooh, I love right? that. It's great. Right. So and and if I butchered that quote, y'all forgive me and look it up. But Howard Thurman understood that church is on a playground and the kids are helping each other, right? Um, church is uh, at work when colleagues care about the one who has been diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And church is when you're at a protest about the environment. And church is maybe even at a Beyonce concert if people are being nice to each other and having a shared experience of joy. But church is yeah. in the hospital with the hospice people who took care of my dad while he was dying. And yeah. church is um, Battery Park, where I see outside of my window and there's kids running. Why isn't God everywhere? Why isn't church everywhere? Right. And if right. that's true, then how, how do we fund that, find that, flourish that? How do we flourish the movement that is love and justice yeah. without yeah, so much worrying that. about institutions all the time? Wow, that's great. I want to end on a kind of a different note for this podcast. I pulled up one of your clips that you have on your website of you talking at Good Morning America. Oh. And you give some amazing <laughs> holiday advice because oh this is going to come God. out probably in a month or two, closer okay. to the holidays. And a lot of people ask me this question, and you call this person Uncle Bob. Yes, you know, what I happens did. when Uncle Bob <laughs> says some stuff that isn't that great? Hopefully, my, my screen works. I'm gonna, it's a minute clip, friends. Oh I, I love this advice, Jackie. So I wanted to play it for the okay. audience. Are you cool That's with that? That's so funny. I'm good with it. That was a great right, so, I, ho I hope this works. Here we go. Yeah. All right. Pass the weekend to any of our gatherings that are come for, for the holidays. You're going to go home, and Uncle Bob's going to say something crazy, mm. something racist or something sexist or homophobic, and you're going to feel some kind of way and like you need to fix him. So I just want to say to everybody, take your fiercely loving self home, realizing you are a child of God, that you host the divine. And if you host the divine, then you just have to be a love shack baby. <laughs> <laughs> and while you're loving yourself, you can't fix anybody else. Just hold on to your goodness, think about how wonderful you are, and go like, hmm when somebody says something crazy <laughs> and don't have a fight, enjoy your dinner and know that you can change your family system with love. I love that. I love that so much. I love that. And at the end of it, you know, you say, hey, it's good to have boundaries, though, and that you should use I statements. Yeah. Hey, that makes me or, you know, I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So I just love that. I think that's just such a great note to end on because I cannot tell you how often, Jackie, I get a DM help my, you know, Uncle Bob, we'll call him, right, is 
is insistent that, you know, I'm going to hell because of my views on sexuality or he's insistent that Trump is saving America and he keeps talking about it. What do I do? How do I do this? And I think your advice is so good where it's like, listen, love, right? You can set boundaries, but like you, you can't. OK, it's, it's not your job to be change the person. Just right. enjoy the dinner. And it's en- like, enjoy the dinner. Ah, I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for pulling it up. That was a really fun interview with TJ. Um, yeah, guys, you know, when you hear this, wherever you're hearing it, Remember that you are love wrapped mm. in flesh. You are love wrapped in flesh. What would love have me do? What would love do right now? And do that. And it doesn't mean stand around and take abuse from people. Love right. might have you leave the room. Love might say, I don't feel comfortable with this right now. I'm going to take a break. Right. That's okay. I love too. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. Where, where can people find you? I mean, you're everywhere. You're, I see you on the Middle Church's Instagram. Do you have your own Instagram, I do. your, your I own do. website? Plug it I all do. away. Let's hear it. Um, you can find me, Jackie, at middlechurch.org. If you want to find sermons or music or anything like resources, middlechurch.org is our website. I am at Rev Jackie Lewis on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all the places, at Rev Jackie Lewis. My website is JackieLewis.com. And I want to be in conversation with you. This is an honor where I get to speak words and Tim makes me sound smart. But I'd love to know what you're thinking, what you, how you respond to this. So when you hear it, ping me and say, girl, that was great. Or say, what did you mean? Like, let's have a conversation. Love that. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, honestly, it has been a true honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and um, I think you're doing great stuff. You know, we're better together. So let's keep in touch. We have work to do for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and I appreciate all that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you, Tim. Back at you. Be safe. Be well. <laughs>